What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Circa in the Galaxy Ballroom here, where myself, Matthew Collar, is here with Eric Eager of Sumer Sports and the Sumer Sports Show. And we are both doing shows because of the million contest and uh, the survivor contest that Circa has here, which are unbelievable. And I will be mentioning uh, throughout the show. But, uh, you know, I had Tage Seth, your co worker at Sumer Sports, on earlier. And I feel like a good place to start the conversation is with something that he said. He said that during the summer, his opinion of the Minnesota Vikings has changed, Eric. Now, you have been a longtime Viking opinionist. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, one way to describe you, especially online. But no, honestly, uh, has anything changed for you? I mean, you you read Purple Insider. You, you, know, Religiously. What, you know what is being said about uh, the Vikings in the summertime. Brian Flores, the offense. Yeah. Also, some a little bit of drama sprinkled in with their tight end in contract situations. Uh, have you gotten higher or lower or nothing uh, throughout the summer? Yeah, I think for the Vikings, to me right now, they're either where I had them projected in May or better. And and the reason I say that is I think everybody knew this defense was going to be terrible. And I, and I think that, you know, not to be like, I don't mean to be an alarmist here, but this defense doesn't have the players to be to run Brian Flores scheme and to and, you know, you bring Danil Hunter back. That helps, but you know we always expected that to kind of happen too. You don't really have much in terms of run stopping. Your linebackers, Brian Asamoa was already a small linebacker. He's going to be replaced, it seems like, possibly, or he has been since he's been injured by a smaller linebacker. So, so I think stopping the run is going to be hard for them. And then in the secondary, I like what Quasey's doing as far as get a ton of bodies in there at, at corner. Um, but he might be rolling snake eyes here. Like, I don't know if any of those guys are going to be good. And losing Patrick Peterson um, after two years where he was at least steady and at times really, really good, um, it's just not going to be great there. But they play in an NFC that is not terribly hard. Um, they play a division where the quarterbacks are all kind of mid or worse and Fields, Goff, and, and Jordan Love as much as I like Jordan Love. The thing I that I know you like Jordan Love. You like Jordan Love? I like Jordan Love. Jordan Love is the kind of quarterback that I miss on. And I don't want to like I look at great coach. So Daniel Jeremiah said something really cool, like during draft season where he's like, when I'd have a bad grade on a player and he'd go to a great offensive line coach, I'd be like, All right, I'm I lost that one because he's gonna coach him up and be good. I had a bad grade on Jordan Love. I didn't think he should have been a first round pick. He goes to Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur, to me, his opinion has a lot of cachet. If they're gonna buy into Jordan Love. I'm going to buy into Jordan Love. That's kind of my take on it, not being a ball. Like, I know a lot about football, but as far as quarterback eval, I'm going to trust kind of the wisdom of the crowds, and the, and the crowd there is, is Matt LaFleur. But as far as the Vikings take, the offense, I think, will be pretty good, right? Like, think about all the things that had to happen for Minnesota this fall, you know, for you to be bullish on them. They've all kind of happened. Brian O'Neill's come back. 
He's yeah. he's he's going to. It looks like he's going to play yep. fairly quickly. Um, no injuries other other than that on the O line, which is which is a positive. Um, the Hawkinson thing hurts, but I always sort of baked in regression for Hawkinson because. You know, I generally think you are the person you've always been rather than the person you were the last 10 games of a season. Um, but the one that, that really is good for me is Jordan Addison. He's going to, it sounds like when on the field, he's going to be a pretty good player. And I think KJ Osborne uh, complimenting Justin Jefferson. I, the other thing that surprised me is Jefferson has no contract and he's not holding out. That's the other one where he's there. He looks committed. Um, I don't think you're going to get regression out of him if, unless you get injuries. So I think the offense is going to be better than I thought. And as such, the offense wins in this league. So I'm a little bit more bullish on them than I was going into the fall. Uh, yeah, I would say that uh, Justin Jefferson's version of committed is just destroying everything in sight. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and not just the Vikings secondary that he's playing against, because you could be sarcastic about that if you want. But even in the joint practices, he hasn't missed any reps. He's really been all in on, uh, you know, continuing to solidify his position as the best wide receiver in the entire NFL. And that's really what's going to matter most is Kirk Cousins throwing to yeah. Justin Jefferson. Uh, if you were giving Kevin O'Connell advice, let's say that he stopped by here. Somebody said I looked like him. Do you think I look like him? So. Like, you know, good looking guy, both of you. I mean, both are kind of, you know, the hairline's about the same. You know, that's about the same. Jawline, about the same. No, the jawline's not the same. No, he He's has in a, much he better has, shape. Than he you. has like a, he has, he has a much more definitive one, but like the, the, you know, the size and the. If I was in way better shape, like if I dropped maybe like 10 pounds, I might have the jawline of him. I think, I think it is the hair, like for both of you guys, okay. both, you know, um, I, I know what you're trying to say about the hairline. I hear that and I feel that. By the way, but... if you want to come sponsor the the uh, Purple Insider podcast, uh, Hymns, Keeps, uh, any of them, yeah, come and get Matt. Right. He's going to advertise some dollars here. Um, no, I think uh, I. <sighs> I think they do a lot of sharp things on offense, right? Like when I look at O'Connell, the red zone, they pass a lot in the red zone. That's a sharp thing to do. They throw it to their best freaking player a lot. And then they got a secondary and tertiary wide receiver. Now that Adam Thielen was washed. I know um, you asked that question uh, about in the, one of the press conferences about Thielen speed and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's like Thielen was underratedly washed last year. And, and I don't think people really understand that. Like my metrics and the tracking data and stuff were not good towards him. The open score stuff in ESPN was not good to him. That's going to be beneficial. The other one, uh, so okay, so I, I haven't come up with my answer yet. The the thing I would say would be run Kirk Cousins until the into the ground until the wheel. Like, do not. There's no there's no value in preserving Kirk Cousins at this point. It's a final year of the deal. He's 35 already. Um, he's got a great wide receiver. He last year. To the debt, like we, he did the thing that we didn't think he could do, which is sacrifice efficiency numbers for team winning. He did, like, he threw the ball, he threw more interceptions, he had a lo lower yards per pass attempt. But when the game was on the line, he threw the ball up to the, it, well, except for the Giants game, he threw the ball up to the best player, and that was effective. And I would say, lean into the, lean into that aspect of it. Look, if Kirk Cousins is average this year, you're going to fail. If Kirk Cousins is a failure this year, you're going to fail. The only way you're going to have success is if Kirk blacks out and has a great season. And the only way he's going to do that is if you, if you let him go, let him loose. Like, and so that's my only piece of advice is like, you have nothing to lose this year. And, 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 and it's hard to say after a 13 win season, but they're an average football team that needs some variance to get, be good. I think part of it for me was I, I was curious how Cousins was going to look after a year where he got really beat up and where he took a lot of hits. 
And he, at least in training camp this year, I think he's actually looked better and stronger and more confident than he looked last year. I, I was saying to you last year, like, I just don't see zip on the ball. Mm -hmm. And there was a part of the beginning of the season where I didn't see zip on the ball. And then as it went along, it sort of came back. And I don't think that was arm. I think that was confidence. Yeah. I think it was, I know where I'm throwing it and I can just let loose. And he will ramp it up sometimes in training camp and really let loose and still has at least enough of the fastball to make all the throws he has made and to execute a lot of what if Kevin O'Connell wants, but that, I mean, that means I think they could be very competitive and that's what Kevin or uh, that's what Kirk cousins gives you. But also I think that we always wondered what it would be like if you leaned into him and threw 700 dropbacks or 650 passes. And the answer was, it was okay. It yeah. was an okay. It was a good offense. It didn't fall it, in its face. It didn't fall the in its face. Yeah. It, and, it, and I think that O'Connell wanted to find out, like, what is this going to look like if I just push the gas pedal all the way down? It doesn't look as good as Stafford looked when you were able to do that and give him yeah. uh, Cooper Cup. But it wasn't as far away as I think people might have thought it would be when you ask him to do as much as he did in the dropback game, which to me, it just all equates to your team's probably going to be pretty good. And if we just agree that offense drives it so much more than defense, it should be pretty good. Here's the problem, though, with this, as every discussion comes back to is, OK, if it's pretty good, what if it's really good? And you end up with the sixth or seventh best. What if they're the Lions? What if they have the sixth best offense in the league and they finish 27th in defense because the defense just doesn't have the roster and the blitzing doesn't solve all the problems and you play great quarterbacks and you miss the playoffs at nine and eight. And, and, you know, Kirk Cousins and his agent come and say, look, we're not offended by what happened last year. We will sign a three-year contract extension. We just finished sixth in offense. Give us the extension. Would you consider that extension if Cousins put up that kind of year in Kevin O'Connell's offense? It would depend on price. Um, and But I've, I've been on the record this entire offseason saying, look, I don't agree with how it's gotten here. I don't agree with the void year. Like, the void years are an instrument, but, like, I don't agree with pushing it out too far and all this stuff. I don't agree with not having traded for Trey Lance by now. I don't agree with not taking Will Levis, you know, to an extent. I mean, I mean, I like the fact that they don't have an heir apparent and if they were to move on from cousins without an heir apparent over the next, you know, six, seven, eight months, they would be going into the draft with everybody knowing ahead of time that they have to trade up for a quarterback or they're going to play with somebody like Baker Mayfield. And this is a fan base that, you know, most of the pushback I've gotten for my cousins takes have been, well, what would you would would you rather have us going in with Marcus Mariota and all this kind of stuff? I uh, well, how many different playoff wins would you have in the last five years if you did? Yeah, it's about the same. I mean, and they were Mariota eight, won a playoff. Well, game. they were 18th in EPA last year per play, and and now they had more volume, which so that helps, right? Volume is a good indicator as well, and a lot of people just talk about efficiency. But I think that if that were to occur, it would have to be at a number similar to the Jimmy G deal with the, with the Vegas Oakland Raiders win the AFC West before I change your name. And then but we're here. We have to, yeah. right. Maybe when we're in Minnesota, I feel like we can mock them more, but yeah. like their, their radio setups just over there. I, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. We'll Whatever. go with it. But Whatever. so, so I think, I think if it's like a 20 or sorry, not 20, like a $30 million APY deal for three years with some void years, so you can spread it out. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be against it. I think though, I wish that they like, this is the problem I, I've, I've, I've had with like Cleveland 
but also to a certain extent, Quasi. They they push off a lot of these decisions and they get to a point where they actually have to make one. And it's like when we it's like in COVID where there were like no good decisions. Do you lock down or do you does everybody die? Like either both of those suck, right? And with like the the, the situation like it is, it's like, well, do you want to extend Kirk at 30 million a year? Or do you want to go into the offseason with no answer quarterback? They both are bad, bad choices, in my opinion, but the better one is probably extending Kirk. And I you can't fault the GM for making that choice. You can fault him for putting himself in position where that was his only choice. And so can we with this, can we? I, I don't know if I want to agree with that. First of all, first of all, the the information has changed on Trey Lance. I no longer think that's a good idea. Uh, because one, you have to keep him as a backup this year, which I don't think helps you all that much. But two, this is now three training camps the man has, and his team decided uh, this ain't going to work. That's a lot of information. But isn't that just a type, though? Like, Kyle Shanahan preferred Kirk Cousins and preferred Jimmy G and preferred, you know, some say Mac Jones because he's going to color between the lines. And when you are a spaz like that and you are a, like that kind of genius and like you're like, it's sort of you're the Sheldon Cooper of play callers where like anything perturbs anything and you're, you're, you're freaking out, but you're a genius kind of in your own realm. A quarterback like Lance, like granted, I maybe get a, ascribing to him virtues that he might not have, but a guy like that that can make plays out of structure and all that kind of stuff, that's not necessarily viewed positively by a guy like Shanahan. But, but Kenny, I mean, he's had a couple of preseasons now. He's had some starts, and I don't know that we've seen that he actually can because there are great athletes. Desmond Ritter's a great athlete. I don't see him doing a whole lot out of structure. Right. Like, I don't know that there's any evidence that he can do these things that we think he can. He can throw a football very hard. Uh, he can throw it over the mountains. Actually, the mountains right behind us. He can throw it over them. But can he do anything else? Like Paxton Lynch is a great example here of a guy or Blaine Gabbert, guys who are physically through the roof, but there's it's just not there to play quarterback in the NFL. And I think that after this long that I, I would guess that Kyle Shanahan wants nothing more than someone who can make him right when he's wrong. He's probably right 90% of the time, but the 10% is where Mahomes wins you the Super Bowl and not Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think that's why they drafted him. I don't think they want anything more than that to happen. And maybe if there is a Brian Dable who comes along and says, you know what, we can just squeeze all the weaknesses out and we could put them in a bubble and we could only have them do X, Y, and Z. But for Josh Allen, that may have worked because he developed in a lot of areas. I think he is the outlier of all outliers. I, I think the best case scenario is you end up with an average quarterback who still has some severe weaknesses and then becomes very expensive. I would rather be okay with whatever is on uh, behind door number two that I don't know in the draft. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, you know, my take, you know, it's so funny because of the betting at the time of the draft is like, you know, George and I were so irritated by the idea that he would take Mac Jones over Justin Fields. And we all like, you know, the whole community was so irritated over the fact he'd take Mac Jones over Justin Fields that we ignore the fact that he took the worst of the three guys or the least, you know, uh, efficient or elite, the least accomplished of those three guys. My issue though, is like right now, what's the going rate? I mean, we're talking about a fifth round pick, right? Fourth round pick. And, you know, I, I look, look, here's a, here's a question. Maybe the level said, I know you weren't in Minnesota when this happened, but I think you can answer it very intelligently. Was the Josh Freeman signing a mistake? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think that you're probably going to say it wasn't because it was a swing, but in my mind, if you say that something, well, it had a whatever percent chance to work out and, uh, you know, maybe it, maybe it would, but 
if the answer is it really had almost a 0% chance, then was it worth it? Of course it wasn't. I mean, Josh Freeman had about a 0% chance to work out. But Josh Freeman had like a 27 touchdown nine. I mean, like even Freeman, but Freeman was more gone than Lance was at the time, but he's more accomplished. So it's not the same, but everybody will come back and be like, oh, you know, Josh, the, you want the Josh Freeman thing to happen again? It's like, well, if the Vikings are in a position to start somebody other than Kirk Cousins this year, you're damn right I want the, jo the Josh Freeman experience. See, I don't think that just on the face of being, and this is where I would always disagree with the PFF mock draft simulator, yeah, that, where taking Jaron Hall would give you an A+. You'd be like, that's not, a, that's not an A-plus pick. Yeah. Because the chances that that works out are almost nothing. And it's, I mean, it's so almost nothing that it's really not worth your time, and you should just pick a receiver because that maybe he's Diggs or, or even KJ Osborne or anything that can give you some valuable production. I feel like with Trey Lance, you are spending at least some asset that you could use for something, even if it's just to, to move up in the draft to trade some or to sign somebody else or whatever, or make a trade or whatever it might be. Uh, but there's also a commitment that goes along with it. Like you have to have him on your team and then you have to try him yeah. unless you absolutely hate him. But how do you find out if you hate him? Cause you didn't have him for camp. Yeah. But, but I think, yeah, I guess, I guess practices can give you some information, but certainly not a lot of the information. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I, I I'm just thinking to myself though, play this out, right? Like, let's say they go into the season with Mullins and, and cousins and possibly Jaron Hall. I'm already out on, like, I'm not out on Jaron Hall, but let's assume like the six round pick, you know, if, if he's not, if he doesn't look like Dak Prescott in the preseason, just, you know, right away, like yeah. it's probably over. So, um, you go into the season with Mullins and cousins as your only two real options. March comes around. You really, do you really want cousins to have that kind of leverage over you? No, I don't think he does. I, I think that they are in a position where they can say, we will go into the draft, we'll go into the offseason, and it's fine. Because think about this. If they win nine games this year, like they're projected to do, eight and a half, if they win nine games, then could you not go into uh, next season and say, we'll improve the defense and bring in a veteran quarterback and draft one, even if it's in the second round? We've mm -hmm. seen some second-round quarterbacks work out. Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jalen Hurts most recently. You could draft a quarterback there, uh, and it's not a guarantee that there will be a quarterback there, and that's what everyone's afraid about. Well, if it's not somebody they love, what are they going to do? But you've just been missing the playoffs with an expensive quarterback or barely making it or being right. eliminated in the first round. So to me, I'm, I'm less concerned about that. And then you take a swing at somebody in this draft. The other part is to talk about whether there should be regrets over some guys that were there and and I think you would say yes, and I would say ish. I would say Kenny Pickett ish. I would say Will Levis probably not. And having yeah. seen a little bit of Will Levis in person, probably not. I mean, well, but even like a Malik Willis or whatever, like I don't think so. I think that they probably viewed it as if there's any chance we can get Anthony Richardson, then we will trade up for him and we will take him, right? And if there is no chance that we could get Anthony Richardson in this draft, then there are guys for next year that are going to be identified uh, as players that they're going to go after and they can trade multiple picks to get them if they want to do that. Yeah, I think like Pickett's the example, though, of somebody like I, I have to look like week 10 on last year that the Steelers were like top five in EPA per play. And you I know, like Pickett. some I of like that's him. volume, some of that. But but a lot of that is just what we've been preaching in on this show and in other shows for ever, which is that Kenny Pickett's nowhere close to as good as Kirk Cousins. Right. But 
And the, and even the Steelers offensively, the scheme's nowhere near as good. But like you just have such an absolute advantage when the guy's making hardly any money that it can work, right? And so like I agree. I you know I wasn't a huge fan of Levis, and frankly, a lot of people who like Will Levis were the kind of people who I I would love to exclusively bet against at places like this. Um, but the, like Will Levis still has a chance to to compete against you know when when he has you know on a rookie deal with with an with an actual roster around him mm-hmm. to the point where I think that that is you know I I still think that would have been a decent option for them at twelve or trading back to twenty or wherever you know whatever you could have done there and again like conditional on not doing that the Cousins option is probably the best one for them right now it's just that everything that's brought you to this place is brought you to this place and that stuff counts. Okay, so I was going to ask you about some of these uh, playoff odds and things like that that we were given since we're here at Circus. So allow me to do that because this quarterback discussion will go on. It is odd to be in a season where uh, an off season where you have a team that can win and you have uh, the best player in the universe that is positioned in Justin Jefferson. But yet the quarterback discussion is sort of where it all comes back to because he does not have a contract extension. And that's where all roads lead. When we talk about how they're handling this situation in general, the competitive rebuild and everything else is fascinating to me. But uh, in terms of the playoffs, if I'm reading this correctly, which I'm not great at. Okay. I can help you out a little bit. Uh, it's uh, it seems to me like the Minnesota Vikings are slightly leaning toward not making the playoffs right. on it. Have I, yeah, have, so, I have I gone uh, at least yeah. in the right direction with that? So circa puts them at plus plus one fifteen to make the playoffs, which means if you bet a hundred dollars and they make it, you get 115 back. So anytime that the, the return is more than the, than the wager, they're underdogs and they're minus minus one thirty five to miss, which means you have to lay $135 to win a hundred. And so anytime the payout is less than the wager, then that means that's the favorite. So they're um, they're slight underdogs, which it's funny. You look at some of these other NFC teams here. The Falcons are minus 110 both sides, meaning that's a 50-50 proposition. That's better than Minnesota. Um, the Seahawks are minus 120 to make the playoffs, so they're better than Minnesota per this or have higher odds. Um, better odds. The Lions are minus 185, meaning the Lions are drastic favorites to make the playoffs to an extent. Uh, Giants, no. Um, I'm just looking at a couple others. Uh, yeah, I mean, even Cleveland at plus 105, that's an AFC team, but they have in that conference, which is a much harder conference, the Cleveland Browns, Quasi's old team, has slightly better odds uh, to make the playoffs than the Vikings do. So, you know, it's it's one of those where, again, if you believe in Kirk Cousins, if you believe in uh, this football team, and there's certainly elements to believe in, um, you have some opportunities on the markets. Is this the best bet on the board? The Vikings to make the playoffs. Um you know, no. Uh, the Packers at plus 160 to make the playoffs is the best bet on the board. Have you ever seen minus 1600 before? So that's Kansas, or the, the Cardinals. Arizona. Cardinals Arizona, on yeah. the no, yeah. yeah. So wow, Matt's referring to the Cardinals being six, minus 1600 to make to miss the playoffs, meaning you have to bet $1,600 to win 100. Uh, I'll do, do I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do I it. I mean, it's similar to like, I mean, you look at the Chiefs, for example, the Chiefs are minus 500. So that's, you know, the thing is, is, you know, learn you know a little bit about betting minus 500. Generally speaking, you take the five over the six. So that's 83%. Um, you know, so that, you know, 83% to make the playoffs, you have to think the Chiefs are better than that. And, you know, generally speaking, they are, but, you know, that's how people lose money though. Cause that's five wagers to win one wager. And that's, you know, a tough, when you lose that one, then you're in the hole quite a bit. Okay. Uh, as far as best bets on the board, 
I think Tampa Bay Buccaneers at plus 355 is is pretty good. I mean, to make the playoffs, a hundred to win. 355. Yeah. Because that division is just so unimpressive. And I think that with Baker Mayfield, I completely understand why everyone would be as far down as, as he, as they are on Baker Mayfield. And the Vikings fans feel this way that Baker Mayfield is, is going to be a quarterback. You beat easily in week one, but that team has talent and I don't really trust their coaching. I don't really trust Baker Mayfield, but do they have more talent? Then the Falcons and also the Falcons could completely fall on their face with Desmond yeah. Ritter. It could be horrible. The, the, the Saints, though, I think are a good team. I, I think the Saints actually have more of a legitimate chance to do something than uh, they're getting talked about in the NFL. I don't know how you feel. About you're that. not going to make a living betting laying a dollar eighty to win a dollar on Derek Carr to make the playoffs. So it's right. just like that's not so. But I do I do think, though. They obviously have a lot of talent. If things stay healthy for them, like a lot of their good defensive players are over 30, you know, like uh, DeMario Davis and uh, Cameron Jordan and stuff like that. So they have to stay healthy because of all the the pushing the money down the road that they've done over the past like few years. They don't have a ton of depth, but they do have really good high-end talent. I, I don't mind that. I mean, I'm I'm more of a Panthers plus 195 to make the playoffs out of that, con- out of that division because I like Frank Reich. I like Ajiro Evero. He had that defense in, in Denver playing really good football. No one noticed because of Russell Wilson and how bad he was, um, but he's the defensive coordinator now. I think that they'll be solid. Um, the Falcons, the thing with the Falcons is, look, when you have three top 10 picks at skill positions, tight end, wide receiver, running back, your offensive line is two all pros. Defense, you get Jesse Bates, you get David Onyemata, you get uh, Calais Campbell up the middle. Um, I think they're certainly improved. Arthur Smith is thought of as a great coach. I have to see it now when there are expectations on him. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And he's been rocking this mustache that's very disturbing, and he kind of looks like a Nicolas Cage character. And I think that there were sitcoms uh, about people like that in the '90s and '80s on like uh, weird uh, uh, cable channels. But yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. Are you go like how weird are you going with that? Um, I don't know what you were watching, but uh, okay. So here's just to finish off on this, looking at some of these odds. Um, what about uh, what about the Super Bowl? I mean, what about winning the NFC? I look at Philadelphia as having plenty of reason to still argue that they are the best team in the NFC. And I also look at how many teams ever get back and, and how hard it is. And, and now they've added games. So even though they did well, have the Super Bowl losers, I mean, the, 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 the loser of the Super Bowl, I mean, think about Kansas City. They've made five straight AFC title games, and the one year they didn't make the Super Bowl, the last four, was the year they came off a Super Bowl loss. Right. It's, 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 you know, the Niners lost 10 or, you know, 10 games, 11 games the year they came off the Super Bowl loss. It's tough. Is it just flat out dumb to think that the Cowboys could do it because of Mike no. McCarthy? Because I think the Cowboys have the best roster in the entire NFC. Is that, is that a hot? I don't, hotter. Okay, here's the thing about Mike McCarthy. He's better than your favorite coach, except for like five guys. <laughs> like I, I, I've never seen a guy win 12 games, two consecutive years with a quarterback that none of us are putting in the Hall of Fame. And Cooper Rush, by the way, yeah, for some of those games. Against Minnesota. But I've never seen a coach who has had this much success be this disrespected. And again, like, I get it. Like, look, yes, conditional on the fact that you're in the playoffs against a team like San Francisco. Yeah, sometimes they fa- fall flat. Mm-hmm. San Francisco is also a wagon, mm-hmm. you know. Like, give me Mike McCarthy over Robert Salah. 
Give me Mike McCarthy over Mike McDaniel. Give me Mike McCarthy over a lot of these guys who haven't proven anything. Folks, there is no crazier time in my schedule than the fall season. And let me tell you, it is tough to find myself a good and healthy meal. But that is why I have Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit that can help me fuel up with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to my door. Give it a try. It'll save you time, you'll eat well, and you'll stay on track with a healthy lifestyle. Trust me, this is an issue with the number of drive throughs I have to go through with my schedule. If you're too busy like me, with Factor, you can skip the extra drive through or even just skip the trip to the grocery store. You don't have to chop and prep and clean and all those things that take time. Factor's fresh but never frozen meal are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is just heat and enjoy. And you can refresh your healthy habits without missing a beat by choosing from 34 weekly flavor-packed dietitian approved meals that are again ready to eat in just two minutes that is so helpful i can't even tell you the options are crazy the number of different ways that you can customize this just to you if you're looking to be calorie conscious they've got that too try delicious calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving head to factormeals.com purple 50 and use the code PURPLE50 to get 50% off. That's code PURPLE50 at factormeals.com slash PURPLE50 to get 50% off. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's, it's so weird with him. When I did coaching tiers, I put the Mike McCarthy tier. He got his own tier because I didn't know what to do with him because he has one of the best winning percentages of all time. Like the only coaches who are up there and you could say, well, he had good quarterbacks. Um, I think Bill Walsh had a good quarterback yeah, as well. Andy Reid had, <laughs> yeah. So it's that he's not the only coach to ever win a uh, good quarterback. I mean, probably Belichick, all did. Belichick's Belichick hasn't pissed a drop in the playoffs since Brady's been <laughs> right. Right. What are we doing? That's, that's the thing. So, uh, but I think that what they did in the off season didn't get a lot of attention, but moving on from Ezekiel Elliott was very smart for them and getting Stefan Gilmore, who I think yeah. is. So I was watching a game the other night from 97. You'll appreciate this. Loves 97 uh, Falcons, 49ers and Rod Woodson's out there playing for the 49ers. And I'm like, all right. And uh, the kicking matchup, by the way, was Gary Anderson versus Morton Anderson, which ultimately was a was that the Garrison Hurst broke his leg game. Um, I don't know. Did he? I, I don't the know. The playoff if, Falcons. Uh, Falcons. It wasn't a playoff game. No, oh, okay. was, it was just a regular season game that I, YouTube suggested and I had to watch. So anyway, um, who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? Um, Buffalo at nine to one is the best Super Bowl bet you can make. Mm. So like and and the thing I think of this Buffalo Bills team like I thought of those Colts teams. You know, 2003, the Colts are the best team in football. They go. They, they they absolutely bludgeon 
uh, Denver. They did it every year. They go, they at home, they bludgeon Denver. They go to New England. It's a it's a it's a snowstorm. No one's calling pass interference. No one's calling anything. They lose those two games, 03 and 04, mm -hmm. in New England. New England steals their Super Bowls. They go ahead and win. 2005, they're similarly good. I think undefeated for most of the season. Pittsburgh, the kind of Cinderella story comes in, wins, and they they win that game because Big Ben like trips up Nick yes. Harper at the 50 yard line, and yes. Nate Vander uh, uh, Vanderjack misses a field goal to tie the game. So then everybody comes back the next year, and they're like, "There's not a, they can't win the big one, right?" Yeah. Like Dungey, you know, Dungey didn't win the big one in Tampa. He needed Gruden to come in, and you know, Peyton Manning didn't win the big one. They start nine and zero. They finish twelve and four, three seed, and they they win a Super Bowl out of three seed. And it's like those teams are thought of as can't not being able to get over the hump until they get over the hump. And there's only one team getting over the hump every year, right? So it's like I look at Buffalo. Buffalo has been the best team in the NFL for two straight years. They they got snake bitten by the Chiefs in the thirteen second game, probably a game the Chiefs should have won, but they should also won. And then. You're six-point favorites at home in a snowstorm against Cincy, and Cincy manhandled you, and everybody over-indexes on that one game and says, well, I guess it's right. over. I'm fading that entire narrative. I think they have all the goods. They have a great coach. They have a great quarterback. Defense is the, of the Bengals, Chiefs, and Bills. They have the best defense. And I, and I, I like, you know, Ken Dorsey in year two. You know, I, I just think, I think that that team has some of the goods to, to win the Super Bowl here. And the other part is, that AFC East is a lot more fragile than people want to say. I mean, the Jets, Dolphins, and New England, it could go very badly for all four, three of those teams fairly easily. I'm going Bengals because of the same sort of logic. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, you could make this case for a couple teams where they're just going to keep banging on the door. But I also think in the AFC, so like the Cowboys have the best roster in the NFC. I think in the AFC, the person, the, the team with the best overall roster, top to bottom, is Cincinnati. I think they have the most complete team, and I also think that their vibes are better than Buffalo's vibes. Like we've got some Stephon Diggs noise, we've got some tension building, we've just got some things going on there that make me wonder: mm -hmm. is it go is it going to galvanize together? Or is it going to crumble apart and crumble apart for a team with that much talent could probably mean 10 wins, but you could see that happening after so much tension builds up. Yeah. Because I think when you have a 13 seconds game, when it, there is just such a tragic thing that happens to your team, it's, it lingers over you that you missed well, your chance. Well, I know you run, you, you're a runner and, and, and stuff like that. And I started to run a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully it, it, uh, it, it's, it works. But like, I think about like every day I try to like, I try to add, one tenth of a mile to my run every single time, and the the thing that's tough about that is, it's not that you run two miles and then the, and then the next day your goal is two point one and you just have to run the next. It's like oh I just got to run an extra tenth of a mile. It's, no, you got to run the two yes. and then point one. Yes, and like that's the that's the when you don't win the Super Bowl when you don't cash in that's the melees right. It's like. God, we got to, you know, we got to go through that whole, like, it was like with the Ravens back when, you know, when uh, they lost to the Chiefs in week three of 2020, it's like, well, we just had the best season in our, our franchise's, you know, history. We lost to Tennessee. Kansas City wins our Super Bowl. We get them week three. Okay, we're geared up. You lose that game, and you're like, well, what do we do with our hands the rest of the year? You know right. what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's you the the troubling part for the Bengals the Bengals of the world and the and the um Bills of the world is you not only have to like win that Chiefs game 
you got to win all the, you got to have a good season up into that. And that take, and to your point about the dig stuff, that is the leak, right? Is, is keeping it together for the 17 games so that when you get into that coin flip against the chiefs or the Bengals, it goes up heads instead of tails, but getting to that point is the hard part. And my thing with Cincinnati though, is just, I agree with you. They were the best team in the AFC, like probably best team in the NFL down the stretch last year. They ran out of gas against the chiefs um, because they started so slow ish. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, they were right there. They yeah. were right there. Um, And yeah, I mean that they're, they're a very good football team and they do. They're, they're annoyingly good at the draft and free agency and they just don't make mistakes um, in that realm of play. You'll see what they do with, with burrow Higgins and, and chase. That'll be an interesting test for them. But yeah, I, I, I don't hate that take at all. Good. Because I'm always wrong about the Super Bowl. I've I have never gotten one right in my entire life. Well, somebody so this here picked the year. Eagles Chiefs last year. Did you really? Yeah. Oh I, wow. Yeah. I so I'm going Bills um lines. I think I I think I said Chargers. I don't know why I did that. But you're saying Bills. I mean, like that's a tortured franchise. So all right, you gotta run. Uh thanks so much for coming on as always. And hey, I'm glad, by the way, I'm glad we're able to hang here. By the way, congrats on the book. Um congrats on your book. Yeah, I feel like uh your book here yeah somewhere. go ahead and buy matt's book it's it's tremendous there's a there's a chapter in it about me that's my book the uh, if you want to get into football analytics with python and r uh, go ahead and order that but i'm uh, really proud of you and i, I i'm uh, i'm excited to see uh, it was it was a pleasure to being able to read that book yeah thanks so much for dropping by and just uh real quick about why we're here in general and if you got it if you want to run because you got i know you got other radio appearances to make so i can tell our audience about it before we sign off is just the uh, millions and survivor contests here at Circa, which are extremely exciting. Uh, the million contest, you pick five teams against the spread every week, $6 million in guaranteed prizes. And it is open until September 9th. You have to sign up here in Vegas, but you play from anywhere. Um, so you come here, register. Trust me, Circa has been amazing to us. It's a great place. Stadium swim is incredible. So you have to come here at least before September. So you got plenty of time um, to show up before the start of the season to come down to uh to Vegas quick, easy ride. There's lots of flights for Minnesota. Come down, do that. The million contest. And then they also have the survivor contest, which means uh, you pick a team straight up every week. So you sign up here, then you go back to Minnesota, presumably, and you pick a team each week until, you know, you try to go 20 and 0 and uh, survive the entire season. And then there's tons and tons of prizes as well. So uh, Survivor Contest, Millions Contest, if you get a chance to come out to Vegas, you're going to want to sign up. So thanks to Eric for coming on and for all of you listening to another episode of Purple Insider. Joining me on Radio Row as we uh, are here for the Million and Circa Survivor Contest, Parker Fleming, who is a data scientist for Sumer Sports. Uh, in the podcast version of this episode, you're going to be paired with Eric Eager, so I hope you're comfortable with that, that both of your appearances are going to be next to each other. Is that okay with you? I could we split them in separate episodes and then see who gets more likes and views, and I could use that as a personal point of pride. Yeah, but I mean, he's <laughs> he's kind of got like the whole thing going on. I mean, he's been building his media profile. Yeah, so. he does have the income advantage. Right, absolutely. Right, exactly. <laughs> Although you have the facial hair advantage um, and for audio listeners, that doesn't make any sense, but you have a beautiful mane anyway. Uh, but you do brilliant work, Parker, and I really enjoy following you on Twitter. You are a TCU guy. So if there's any uh, TCU alums out there, then they probably have seen your work and listened to your podcast at some point. But for Sumer Sports, you are studying all of the world's data of the National Football League. And yesterday we were just chatting and you showed me something really interesting. 
that you call echo ratio. Don't turn off the uh, podcast right now. <laughs> but uh, so this is something that I've talked about a little bit on the show. And I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts after studying this. It's about offensive efficiency and how we should look at it. And one thing that I feel like I've just been very comfortable with is saying, the Vikings will have a great offense this year. That's what's going to drive them. And the defense, we'll see. It's hard to predict. Probably will have some trouble. But one thing is they have to, I think, have to be a better offense this year than they were last year, which feels weird to say because they were 10th in scoring. But I feel like the numbers that you have run back that up. So could you explain how and why they actually have to have a better offense this year to get similar results. Yeah. So what, what I look at with, with Echo is just kind of like that idea of opportunity creation and then what you do with that opportunity. So uh, Echo is analogous to like Corsi in hockey, right? It's kind of the ratio of quality possessions. So last season, uh, Minnesota ranked in the NFC, they ranked, uh, what is a seventh in Echo ratio 50.8. So they only controlled 50.8 of the productive drives in their, um, in their games. And they ha averaged negative uh, 0.5 net EPA per echo. So the expected points they added when they got a quality possession was actually negative when you compare offense and defense. That correlates really well to their uh, you know, negative point differential on the season, which was just, just under negative one point per game. Um, and so kind of that, that thin margin. You can compare them to instance, uh, for instance to Dallas, who had a 52% uh, echo rate, but they, or excuse me, ratio, but they had 0.74 net EPA per echo. So what they were doing was adding, they were finishing those drives better. So Minnesota kind of laid on the skin of their teeth because they weren't, they were barely creating more opportunities than they were allowing. And they weren't finishing those really, really well. So of course, we know finishing drives matters. That's you know an inarguable claim, but it's something that Minnesota wasn't excellent at last year and they didn't control their games super well and they didn't finish super well. We talked about yesterday, the fact that they were getting in so many negative situations, they had to make up so much lost ground. Uh, I think that them getting in those negative situations in the first place is really a testament to how they weren't doing a great job at creating and preventing opportunities. Okay. First of all, as you're talking with your hands, I'm sorry, I put a mic in your hand as well. <laughs> try, try to keep your mic a little okay. closer to your face. Okay. Uh, you got very excited there about your echo <laughs> ratio, but explain this a little bit more in terms of not being a data psycho. Okay. okay. So here's, here's one stat that I've used as sort of a vague way to come up with the same results is the percentage of drives in which the Vikings produce points. Okay. I, I think that it has been pretty good evidence of their inconsistency the fact that they are like 18th in scoring percentage. So they get the ball and they only score whatever, 40% of the time and the best teams score 45% of the time. And that sounds like not a lot, but it is like, that's the difference between being an average offense for how much you produce and a really good offense. And the other thing is too, that they were playing for behind a lot last year, late in games, which forced them to continue to throw the ball, forced them to continue to score points, which I think artificially jacked up up their offensive production at the end of the day when it came to actual scoring is, is am i am i barking up the right tree with what your numbers are saying yeah absolutely so if you look at if you look at the top of kind of the echo rate and and uh and ratio kansas city is number one 56.7 of their offensive drives got across the opponent 40 or were a big touchdown right i'm gonna count if you break off an 80 yard touchdown i'm gonna say hey that's a good possession. You should do that more often. And we look at EPA per echo, right? Expected points added, how well you kind of finish those drives relative to where your starting field position was. Kansas City, 1.19. Uh, every point. So not just on a drive, but on a quality possession, they're at 1.19. If we look at Minnesota, they're down at 12th at 49.2% uh, 
equal rate. So only 49.2% of their offensive possessions are they creating a scoring opportunity, a quality opportunity. And they were 0 0.084. And uh, excuse me, point, yeah, 0 0.084, which puts them at 15th in finishing ability there. So really, really kind of middling rate and middling finishing there from from uh, Minnesota. So definitely gels with kind of your perception and the scoring and the scoring percent. Right. I like your, your process of how often did you get to the opponent's 40 because they can't control whether the guy makes the field goal or not a lot of times yeah. if a drive peters out but you should have had some points scoring percentage would include missed field goals of which the vikings always tend to have a handful of those sometimes in the biggest moments historically uh but not being able to get to the 40 as an elite team, not being able to finish drives as an elite team. Then of course, there's the question of how much some of this impacts the defense as well. Like when you're not able to do that consistently, I think it puts more strain on your defense and there are no excuses for their defense last year. Yeah. Absolutely none. But at the same time, the inconsistency of the offense that felt like it was just very boom or bust, even throughout games, they would start out hot, run down score points, get up 14 and then squander away leads. And of course our natural inclination is say, how you defense, how dare you let the league or let the uh, lead squander away. But yet I think what we're looking at here is that offense may impact defense when you're not able to push the ball um, to the other side of the field or finish drives. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 certainly the, you can go through the game theory of, well, if you didn't finish a drive well, then that affects the starting field position on the next drive for Minnesota. Um, looking at their defense, yeah, they were they they were tenth in echo rate allowed negative worse. So the highest, tenth, tenth worse, uh 49.7%. And they allowed um 0.138 EPA per drive, which is ninth uh worst. And so you can see that like it is true that the offense struggled with opportunity creation and the defense st struggled with opportunity prevention. Those are absolutely related because if you're kicking field goals and you're missing field goals, you're getting better field position. If you're not scoring those touchdowns then the game state becomes where the opposing offense can run or pass kind of at their whim, they can run their game plan. They're not trying to catch up. And it does put a little bit more pressure on that defense as well. Guess what I'm doing for all my road trips. I'm figuring out what other sports games I can go to. And you know, who's giving me a huge hand with this is game time. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, and game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you have. So I can just say, travel to Philadelphia and pull up the game time app and figure it out on the fly. Flash deals for last-minute tickets, easy to find and buy tickets for any kind of event. It doesn't just have to be baseball or basketball, like what I love. And images are shown of your seats. You get the lowest price guarantee and event cancellation protection. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code INSIDER for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. Now what's the actionable element of this? Be better. Would you just <laughs> score instead of not scoring? So I think that it is a staple of Kirk Cousins in general throughout his career to have ups and downs for somebody who's talked about as a game managing type of quarterback. 
I have sort of had the opposite experience watching Kirk Cousins. It's big touchdowns to Justin Jefferson, amazing drives where he's incredibly accurate and sacked and punt and third quarter where they don't score or October where he's the MVP of the league and then December he's not. I don't know if there's any solution, but I feel like if there's a man who could be a helper to the solution, it is Jordan Addison because what they I think went out and tried to do is find more answers on those situations that would keep drives going. So really, I mean, third downs, they were 12th in the league, but that's not at the top of the league, right? I I mean, I guess that's the best thing I could think of is just Kevin O'Connell and making some adjustments from early in games and then having a wide receiver who's better at separating and get up, getting open than Adam Thielen was late in his Viking career. Yeah. So I think that the, the couple of things that you might suggest or might, might say that a, a poor finishing rate on those, on those quality possessions suggests is either two things. One, when the field gets shorter, you don't have the weapons to really generate uh, those, those good plays that are going to get you across that line, past that red zone and into the end zone there. Uh, Addison might answer some of that. The gravity of the offense is going to change. If he can, we talked about yesterday, he's kind of small. Um, if he can stay healthy and they can find a way to make sure he's not taking those hits over the middle or anything um, and get him the ball creatively, I think he absolutely gives you another uh, dimension to having Jefferson down there. Secondly, another way that Addison could help there is maybe the way that you're getting those quality possessions is unsustainable. And so it's those those low percentage explosive plays and you're getting there and you're not able to generate it again. One, Addison probably helps with your explosiveness. Two, probably helps you... Um, turn those explosive plays into instead of 30 yard gains into 60 yard touchdown gains, right? And saying, hey, we're going to actually convert that big play and get and get into the end zone there. So I think Addison having options and the gravity of the offense is something I'm really interested in because it's less of a player stat, right? And saying like, oh, once Kurt gets across the 40, he gets bad. Well, it's not really indicative of performance, right? As we know, that's more indicative of there's a schematic reason, there's a gravity reason, there's a defensive reason why that's happening. And I think what we're seeing is last year, uh, a lot of the Vikings offense was find Justin Jefferson, which God help them. That's a great offensive plan most of the time. But if they want to take that next step and not live on the edge of the knife, what they're going to need to do is have a credible second threat that they can actually use when Jefferson gets covered or they can stretch the defense so much that Jefferson can get open. And when the field gets shorter, they can create those explosive plays and still get into the end zone. Now, uh, big data over the years has had a war on the running game. I mean, you have to admit it's uh, it's been awful. They, they've uh, they've tried to cancel the running game, which is, I think, what people are talking about when they say cancel culture, right? Data people in the running game. Uh, However, I do feel like the running game for the Vikings is extremely, extremely important to what you're talking about, which is finishing these drives, sustaining these drives, creating uh, opportunities to score points, and also keeping the other team from getting opportunities. Now, I mean, I know that sounds a little bit uh, too old school for even the show, which is very data-driven, but When you are an extremely negative team, in my eyes, in running the ball last year, when they would get up, I I didn't think that they had the ability to just hack away at their opponent. And I also thought that when you talk about drives failing, let's say you get the ball at the 40-yard line, the opposing team's 40, handoff on first down, minus two yards. Now you're at second and 12. Like it's just harder at that point. Like you give the defense so many more options to attack you when you're on second and 12. When you're yeah. on third and eight and when you're on second and 12 and your only real option is Justin Jefferson downfield. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And and so I think that even though Alexander Madison is not as gifted in their careers as Delvin Cook, I think this was a huge emphasis of them in the offseason. And it 
it has to be better. Essentially, the running game has to be better or you're probably going to end up with a lot of the results. Like, Does that match up with what you have? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's less of an issue of what's the value versus running and passing because you're not going to pass every play. That you can't, you can't do that, right? And you, you do need to have a semblance of a run game. And the Vikings last season, 25th in rushing success rate, 38.1. Not going to cut it. You, you cannot be unidimensional to that level. And yes, Addison is going to free up uh, some options theoretically in the secondary there. But that that run op- that, that run offense has to be a lot better. They were uh, negative one point negative excuse me point one two eight EPA per rush last season. Um, that is getting you behind schedule. That's putting more pressure on Kirk Cousins, who can have that boom and bust, to be in a situation where more negative plays can happen. That extends the tail of the possibilities there. You've got to be able to take some pressure off of that passing game. Um, and yeah, Minnesota just frankly has to be better, whether that is Madison, whether, I mean, they're, they're kind of making a calculated gamble saying we want our resources to not go to the running back and we want to be able to shore up other places. We'll see if that works out, but yeah, it doesn't matter if it was cook or if it was Madison that has to improve. Um, if we're looking at the Vikings, not substantially regressing, giving their point differential, given how the games happened last season and what the record ended up. Yeah. And when you talk about expected points added, I mean, that's sort of uh, performance versus the situation and you're getting farther away from scoring than closer is the best yeah. way to describe yeah. it. And when you're running the football last year, and if that doesn't improve, then you're in trouble. Now their I think way of closing the gap between Delvin and Madison is by bringing in Josh Oliver and using potentially CJ Ham, their fullback more often, which of course we support very much on the show. Uh, what 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 can you tell me about big personnel though like cuz one of the things that that i think is that it is a nightmare for opposing defenses when you can play that regularly so when you can bring in a 6 foot 6 270 pound dude who can also catch the ball by the way and and he's your second tight end so what do i do do i leave my nickel in but then what if i go up against that guy and then he just runs me over right right and and so i think this was a, actually a very like clever strategy for them to bring in this second tight end to have a, a nice little counter punch and change up but that also might be just me loving second tight ends and fullbacks like uh, what, how do you feel about that? and and who doesn't like a, a minnesota fullback is like as american as apple pie right like that's just something you want to see out on the field you want the beef there absolutely Shout out Jerome Felton. Um, our, uh, my, my friend and colleague, Tay Seth, wrote an article at sumersports.com the other day about personnel diversity, because we are looking at those ideas of kind of how does how is there this endogenous choice about what you put on the field and how does it work? And what you see is a little bit of a U-shape in how many personnel sets you use and your efficiency. So you see like Colts, Jets, Raiders um, are kind of on the on the lower side of personnel use because they just don't have the identity. They, they don't feel like they have the players to do that. And then you see like Browns and Falcons kind of throwing a lot out there and saying, we need to get innovative to try to make something work on the other side. Right in the middle, you see a lot of diversity. Kansas City, for instance, right in the middle at the highest efficiency, they're using about three different personnel sets about uh, uh, 5% of the time. Minnesota last season was almost right there with Kansas City, obviously not as efficient, but it did look like they were able to get into some different looks, but not perhaps fully maximize kind of what they wanted with that personnel diversity. They get the fullback in there, they get the tight end in there. That does free them up to give different looks and change the balance of the defense, which as we you know really really basic looking at like a rush yards over expected model your run your run game is going to get better if you can force light boxes in rushing situations your pass game is going to get better if you can force them to respect the run in those personnel groupings um and so i think that's something that empirically we're kind of just beginning to scratch there but it's really interesting to look at uh it's really hard to separate execution from intent in football right like hey we want to do x but we don't have y so we have to do z it's hard to it's hard to put that together but i think with minnesota you're watching okay 
are they going to that heavy personnel in non-obvious heavy personnel situations? Are they able to pull that out of their bag to make opposing defenses have to substitute in certain ways and, and kind of respect that? I don't know. I think it's an open question. I think bringing in those guys potentially suggest that they want to get a little bit more diverse with their personnel. And I think looking at where they are in the graph, a change uh, in, in in kind of increasing that diversity is probably going to pay off in efficiency. I think so, too. And I also think that Josh Oliver was the number one ranked PFF uh, run blocker, which helps as well. And if you've seen him, you can see why. I mean, that's that's the funny thing about PFF grades. They come up all the time. Like when we look at the Vikings, almost every all of them overall in a long period of time match up with what the numbers are saying and Josh Oliver's blocking the early returns. I mean, he was in the game against Seattle, their preseason game, just like setting the edge or whatever, you know, I mean, just, yeah. he's just moving dudes like a tackle. And I think that there's some real value in that when you get up in a game and you're up by 10 points in the third quarter and you need a long drive just being able to pound away at a team or be able to run play action off of that, which right. is a, very much a key. And the Vikings last year, if there were two areas, and I think you can also run screens more effectively because you can have Josh Oliver be a blocker for you on, on right. screens much better than a third uh, wide receiver. And if there's two areas where I thought that Kevin O'Connell was not successful really at all, it was in the screen and the play action game. And so I guess my question is like, when we talk about room to grow, is there schematic room to grow for the Vikings? Because Addison, I think is the swing guy to this whole thing. The running game is the swing element to this whole thing. But as a first year head coach, first year play caller, I think that there is room to have an entire off season to assess everything they did and go into this year with more answers than they had last year. Yeah, absolutely. You, you noted, I think they were 21st in run block last season and the preseason isn't what it is. We don't want to overstate it, but they're up to, they're up to 12th in the preseason in PFF run block. So at least maybe some early returns of that's an, that's an uh, idea for emphasis. Yeah. I think that what's really interesting about the personnel stuff and the grouping is that it's so interdependent on this being able to happen. It's like, can you get a guy who can line up as a, as an H back, as a tight end, maybe even go to fullback, maybe even split out a little bit so that you're not having to substitute and say, Oh, we're bringing in this guy. Now, you know, we're doing that right and then can you also create those levels with that guy so that one he's not he's not targeted as an individual um uh, like a, a very specific option, but that he's freed up a little bit. I do think the run blocking is really the key there. If Minnesota can run block well enough to let them show some diversity in the run game and the RPO game and the play action game and the screen game, that just makes that downfield threat a weapon, not a not a not a, a rope into a well to get them out, but it's a weapon that can kind of get it on their terms. They can be on the attack there instead of in the desperation. Yeah, and I feel like you need to just have enough Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski elements in your life of big personnel and play action they, so they weren't as good I, I thought that they were a good running blocking team last year is that not true no uh according to pff they were 21st uh if i'm looking at this correctly so looking at their run block game uh they were oh no oh no i said it totally wrong i looked at the run i looked at the run grade and not the run blocking grade uh -huh, yeah, run see. blocking was better excuse me they were very good at run blocking last season uh fourth in uh in pff grade okay, that's what i get yeah. for looking at live stats on the uh on on the show sorry about well, that well that's why i wanted to circle back on that point because i think that when your team doesn't run successfully <clears throat> Most of the time, it actually is the offensive line. Yeah. But I think that what we almost underappreciated, now Vikings fans, not so much, but I mean, the outside world, of course, was how much Dalvin Cook struggled last year. Yeah. And I think that the evidence is right there. 
like when your actual whole running game is 21st, but your run blocking is fourth, then the running back probably had more opportunities than he took advantage of. And I think from watching that um, in person, I would say that's absolutely correct. And so when the uh, outside world saw that Delvin Cook got released, I mean, I think that there was a, a national outlet that accused the Vikings of tanking and was like, well, if they were tanking, they would have traded Kirk Cousins. But then not only is this not tanking, this is actually trying to improve because if you can go from 21st to even above average, yeah. then you know your passing game is going to be like borderline elite with what you have for weapons. Then you've got a really good offense on your hands. So I think we almost... We sometimes when you run and it goes for two yards, you're like on to the next play. Yeah. And, and and when you look at the accumulation of all those, you don't realize how much that was damaging the efficiency to not be successful on those runs. Right. Right. And, and, and there's been a lot of work done about like perfectly blocked plays and kind of the value there. And you look at a perfectly blocked play, a run versus a pass, a perfectly blocked run is going to be on average worth over two and a half, uh, excuse me, over, over, uh, 0.25 a quarter of a point per play in expected points relative um to a, a non-perfectly blocked run is negative 2.5 so that's that's an issue right there with a running back where hey you're, you're you've got a good run block uh grade you're getting those perfectly blocked plays often and you're not able to capitalize on those explosiveness i don't even care about the negative plays like you've got to have the explosive hammer on those perfectly blocked plays to capitalize on that value there. And so that is that is an issue where I think it's an issue where running backs can matter is saying like if the running back, I think the running back determines a lot of your ceiling on those perfectly blocked plays. Can you can you maximize values on those more so, less so than can you run successfully on third and two or whatever? And I also think uh, one of my feelings coming out of last year was that getting four and a half to six yards regularly as opposed to a 75 yard touchdown run every few weeks is way more valuable to the entire health of your offense. And I, again, think that this is a part of the math that the Vikings are doing with Madison. And I also think they thought they were going to have other running backs they could count on. And right now they don't, but uh, I, I think that that is a fascinating element of how the Vikings offense can get better. So let me ask you this question. How good do you think they'll be? Uh, I'm okay. I'm a little worried. And we talked about this uh, yesterday that like, I'm, I'm, I, I do a lot with college football. And so what I look for in college football is like, all right, last year, what was your record in one score games? What was your point differential? What is your returning production look like? And if the Vikings were a college football team, I would have a big fat red circle to say like, I don't think 13 wins is what we're looking at. What I think is interesting is in terms of talent and what they've got, I, I mean, obviously with the offense, they can score. Um, you've got, you know, you're looking at like a median of eight or nine wins. I think Addison staying healthy. I think the run game may be getting some positive regression and Madison getting those explosive plays to their ceiling. Uh, if that all goes well, I think we're looking at like 11, 12 um, games. But then again, I, I could see the floor hitting that six. I could see it hitting that five. Just uh, you get some negative regression. The run game doesn't improve. Addison gets hurt or they can't like, figure out how to get those two guys to gel in the passing game. So uh, I, I think that they're really a, a, a kind of equally distributed you know, six wins and 11 wins seem equally likely with that median being in that eight or nine range there, just because I think there will be some regression from that thin point margin last season and um, and how good the record was last year. It feels like a wider band of potential yeah. outcomes because there's a lot we don't know. And in the past, we felt like we went into the season really knowing. And uh, a listener sent me the win total um, over under for every year going into the season since 2012. And for the Vikings, it was almost always, almost every single year, 8.5, 7.5, 9.5. And, uh, you know, we, they've just been such a predictable team, I think, for a lot of years. 
and then every once in a while they have a crazy year like like last year where it just pops up and they win 13. I don't think anyone expects that, but I also think that the closer I get to the season, the more information we gather, the more I feel like if if we're not talking about the playoffs, then it's a pretty big failure for what yeah. they decided to do and how they decided to sort of uh, try to thread the needle of uh, refreshing the roster without moving major, major parts, uh, being the quarterback really namely. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what it comes down to for me, but I think it's going to pay off for them with a playoff appearance. Do you project that though? So what we've got at Sumer right now, and Eric Eager has, has done a lot of uh, done a lot of work with his with his projections. What our Sumer looks like here, our Sumer projection looks like, is Vikings are third most likely to make the playoff, thirty nine point three in the uh, division. In the division, excuse me, and third and third most likely to win the division uh, at twenty nine point three percent. So we actually like the Packers a little bit more than the market. Even when at the time of this article, uh, the market had the Packers at thirty eight point five percent to make the playoff, the Vikings at forty nine. We're a little higher on the Packers than the Vikings, although the distribution, I think, is, is a lot more narrow for the Packers. The Vikings, I do think, have a high Seattle. There's a really important element that Eric is from Minnesota, so he would have built in like at least a couple wins less. Yeah. Just based on field goal kicking and whatever bad yeah. things could go on to the Vikings. So Absolutely. You have to, there is a bias of the data creator <laughs> we, here. Uh, we dock you 5% and, for existential despair. Uh, potential. That's, that's, right. that's right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but so uh, let me let me ask you this before we uh, wrap up. I, yeah. I mean, I think that the standard should be a playoff um, appearance, and that's where I, I'm putting them. But I understand why the numbers would say that because when you lose that much talent, including you know you have Delvin Tomlinson going, Patrick Peterson, Zadarius Smith, these guys were all good for them last year. So when you have that type of exit, then it's really hard to say like, oh yeah, they'll repeat anywhere near what they did before. And then you have a division with a lot of teams that have the potential to be good. But here's what I want to ask. We're here at Circa and they have the survivor contest, right? And uh, $8 million guaranteed to the winner. Um, you have to sign up in Vegas before September 9th. So if you're coming out for any reason, you're just going to want to try to do that. Yeah. Because that's insane. Um, it's hard to go 20 and 0. So you, you usually have to use a lot of teams. Here's the Viking schedule. How good are your eyes? Can you see that? I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what game, if you had to pick the Vikings to survive, would you pick the Vikings on their schedule? Because you can't just use the Cardinals all the time. Right. Right. Can't do that. I, I have to. Okay. So one, if I were, if I were entering my thing, I would be looking at the entire slate, but here I'm just going to look at the Vikings of, of each week and say like, which one do I like? Of course. Um, I'm kind of interested in at Las Vegas right after the bye week on December 10th. I know it's a road game, kind of a weird there, but I think you get the bye week before. Las Vegas has some potential for, um, hey, it's been six weeks and we really don't know what's going on. We're going to shake things up. That could be a great opportunity for you to swoop in and go um, and uh, sw swoop in and take one there. So I'm really interested in that. Um, and I think you get, uh, yeah, at Chicago early. Uh, again, maybe you're never do at Chicago. I guess House, Justin House Fields becomes Wars. an MVP. It's candidate. really about Soldier Field. Yeah. So one time we did a little analytic study of our own where we looked at the Vikings history at Soldier Field and tried to figure out whether it was actually cursed. That's analytics, right? Yeah. That's what you do. And Absolutely. it was the, the losses that they had versus the spread were so astonishing <laughs> through the years at Soldier Field that it must be cursed. They lost to Chad Hutchinson once. Chad Hutchinson. Who is Chad Hutchinson? I, yeah, he was the Bears' quarterback, and they lost the game there against him. So I never, 
I, I'm I'm always very nervous to pick. I, I changed yeah. my rule this year and I actually did pick the Vikings to win that game. Okay. But if you're talking a survivor right, situation, right. absolutely no way. The one of the first actually might have been the first road game that I ever covered as a Viking reporter was Vikings at Chicago. Chicago was like one in five. Jay Cutler was done, and the Vikings were five and oh. Yeah. Guess what happened? Chicago what? Soldier Field got Chicago, him. Yeah, yep. the Soldier Field yep. monster got him. So uh, the one that I would pick out, uh, I think a lot of people would say week one. But to me, I'm a little dubious about that because week one is weird. Yeah. And are we sure Tampa Bay is going to be awful? That's it. Yeah. They have good defense. Yeah. And when another team has a good defense, especially defensive line, yeah. get a little nervous about the offensive line, pressure on Cousins. And, and Baker's, been around the, Baker's been around the block. He's not a he's not a dude, but he's a guy. Yeah. Andy Dalton has beaten the Vikings fairly <laughs> recently. So uh, TC legend, with, the Red uh, Rocket. <laughs> that's right. That's right. With uh, with Dallas. Yeah. He beat the Vikings. So it does happen. And Mitch Trubisky did it a few times. So if you have a good team, good defense, you could beat this team. But the one that I'm looking at is Carolina October 1st. Yeah. I just think that Brian Flores against a rookie quarterback could be an absolute nightmare yeah. for Bryce Young. And I think the Vikings are going to smash Carolina. I just don't think they're a very good team. Yeah, I think I think that's totally reasonable. And especially with kind of the, um, excuse me, the development kind of uh, narrative that we know of those, 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 you're going to play your rookie quarterback because you want to know, you want to give him the reps, you want to know who he is, but you know, he's going to take some lumps and you know that like the college game and the pro game are very different and it's going to be an adjustment period. So especially if they're giving him a long leash and saying, Hey, we're going to try things and we're going to let you fail, which I think good NFL teams are going to do with their quarterbacks to know you've got a great opportunity. One, you're not week one, so you're not going to get stunned by anything. Uh, and two, you've got a couple weeks to make sure, Hey, we know what we want to do on defense. We know what we look like on the offensive line. Um, yeah, I think that one, that one lines up really well as well. Uh, what is your Twitter these days? You, did you change it? No, it's uh, it's at Stats of War okay. is the handle. Yeah, Stats of um, War. Yeah, you can find me there doing a bunch of uh, that's that's really a bunch of college football stuff. And then follow Sumer Sports. We're doing articles and products and um, uh, graphs and and stuff for the season. Got some cool stuff. We're actually uh, for a little plug. Eric is Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitrov have a twice a week. They're going to go twice a week during the week with their show. Uh, Tay Shafe and. Uh, and Sean Syed are going to do a kind of a scheme-based podcast where we talk about that. And then I'll be on Thursdays during the season with a podcast we're calling Odd Man Front. It'll be me. I'll have a guest or two. I'll do kind of a stat deep dive into the week of the NFL. So should be a lot of fun. You can get all those at the Sumer Sports feed on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, and I was mentioning to, I don't know, Eric Ortage that this has become my jogging podcast. Yeah, yeah. Show, so... Uh, I was listening to you the other day and, and you guys are doing an incredible job there. And I'm glad that we could all catch up, have dinner last night. Yeah, that was so out. fun. Thanks so much, Parker. Appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for having me.